You're listening to Q&A Over Coffee. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for obtaining accounting, tax, or financial advice from a professional accountant. Some years I've uh, it's taken me about three weeks to get my mower going, so I was, uh, I was glad it uh, was well, two hours this time. No mow may is, is not a bad thing, right? Like, it, it, you allow those bees to pollinate the dandelions and... Yeah, yeah, all that. There's plenty of flowers out there for them now, though. There are, yeah. yeah. My apple trees, actually, if they aren't pollinating my apple trees, then... <laughs> Honeycrisps? Uh, yeah, we have one of those. And then um, one was like the snow something or what the heck is it called? One of the new, new varieties. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And uh, we had a couple. I don't... They weren't Honeycrisp, but they weren't... Um, I don't know. They haven't taken... They haven't done too well. How old are the trees? One, one, the one that's like actually finally taking is a little over three years, but we've replanted like two or three now. So each time it's like we get one to maybe take every couple of years and we're struggling. I'm about ready to say the heck with apple trees and just go with something hardy like a oak or something. <laughs> apple trees are a pain. They're hard to get to go. Hmm. And we've got two that are on the younger side of things. Yeah. Haven't got any apples yet. No. Yeah, like birds picked all the buds last year. Yeah. So well, fingers that's a, crossed for the worst year. is so like the one that took had like nine apples on it last year. And it was uh it was doing really well until it came about to harvest time. And then like the bugs like descended from nowhere and like almost all the apples were worth like we threw them in the weeds because it's just they were destroyed. I'm like, this sucks. Apple apple like apple farms, just go pick your own apples there. One of our master gardener friends did say like when they're young like that, that if you don't get any, it's not that bad. Cause if you get like a full crop, it'll like actually hurt the branches cause of yeah. the weight. Yeah. I think that the first like few years it, they put a lot of energy into like just growing. Yeah. Right? And that, so if they don't have the apples, then yeah, yeah. they put more into the roots. So yeah. you get a better tree. Yeah. One of your master gardener friends. Do you have, a well, I guess I don't know if we have more. <laughs> My wife's friend. Okay. <laughs> Depends which personality you get that day. Yeah. <laughs> we run a gardening heavy crowd. Mm. So. Welcome to the second episode of Olson Thielen's Q&A Over Coffee podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Owen, CPA. I'm excited to introduce you to today's guest and my esteemed colleague, Zachary Dio, a director in our tax department here at Olson Thielen CPAs. He has significant experience in tax planning and compliance and is here today to offer some offers us some tips on accelerated depreciation of fixed assets. Zach, maybe you could just uh, start off today by telling us a little bit about the concept of what accelerated depreciation is. Um, Various forms, makers, 179, bonus, et cetera. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Dano. Great to be here. Excited to be episode number two. Um, and yeah, good topic, um, especially you know this time of year as we're getting into budgeting and planning. Um, and then we've got some changes in the works around this. Uh, yeah, so anything over uh, the straight line that financial statements are using is really that accelerated that we're looking at for tax purposes. Typically, you know, when you're reading articles, um, listening to guidance like this, when we're talking about accelerated depreciation, we're really talking about bonus depreciation or the Section 179 deduction. And really, that's just, you know, in current terms, letting us write off, if not all, substantially all of the cost of an asset instead of extrapolating that cost out over the useful life. Um, for tax purposes, that's going to be governed by statute depending on what kind of property it is. Um, and then, 
you know, as I was preparing for this and thinking about it, really bonus depreciation kind of think of as a wrecking ball so that you're basically taking the whole cost of the asset or in this, you know, that's actually a change from the way, way we've been. For 2023, we're at 80% of the asset. We've been in a 100% environment for a long time. But basically you're writing off that cost of the asset and then that's going to be based on class life. So you can pick and choose based on, you know, this is all my five-year property, my seven-year property, my 15-year property. Uh, but within those, you know, you can't pick half the five-year, half the seven. Um, and then, you know, the important thing to consider there, there's no income limit on that. So you can use it to further or, or create a loss. Uh, Section 179 is going to be more of a scalpel so that you can pick and choose on an asset-by-asset asset basis. Um, you can even do part of an asset. Um, that's going to be subject to some different um, income limits, some limits on the type of property. As a curiosity, I was looking around at some of the history of these things. So the bonus depreciation has been around since 2001 in some form or fashion. Um, kind of follows a pattern of it'll be around for a few years, set to get the axe, Congress fights about it a little, and then it gets extended, which I would kind of expect to be the, the current environment we're in now. We're, we're set to sunset after 2026, but I would be surprised if it completely goes away. Um, and then actually section 179 was first introduced in 1958. So we're going way back here. And at that point you could write off a whopping $10,000 of fixed asset. Spend. Well, I'll index that, you know, $10,000 yeah. in 1979. It's, it's quite a bit. Yeah. Zach, if you could maybe explain, you know, the concept of bonus depreciation on, on why that became you know why how that became law back in was it 2001 um you know after 9-11 just kind of the the principle the reason of why congress wanted to uh pass that um you know benefit uh for, for the taxpayers yeah so really you know we're looking at um again the ability to write off all or substantially all of an asset purchase instead of having to be able to take or carry those costs over the life of the asset um you know so there gives you a really good tool to manage taxable income um, it allows you to better match, um, you know, for accrual basis taxpayers, you're better matching the, um, the actual cash outlay with the tax benefit for it. Um, you know, 2001, you know, we were looking at right after 9-11. So just looking to stimulate economic growth, um, stimulate um, capital expenditures, you know, encourage or make it more beneficial for business owners to invest in their businesses, get the equipment materials that they needed. Yeah, I think uh, you know a theme of that is whether whether the the president's been a Republican or Democrat, or whether Congress is a Democrat or Republican. It's been a popular incentive to help uh, invest in in America, uh, America production, really, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. most definitely. Yeah. Uh, what uh, what are some of the more you know bigger industries or popular industries? I'm sure it's probably most industries, but uh, are we seeing any patterns and what types of industries uh, most likely are going to be using uh, bonus depreciation? Yeah, sure. You know, as you said, most industries, um, manufacturing, you know, we see it a lot in our client base there. Um, those tend to be pretty fixed asset heavy. You know, we see it in our telcos quite a bit. Um, we've seen it a little bit more recently in that area just with um, changes in income, grant monies coming in, using it as a good tool to manage the taxable income and the allocations they're making there. Um, you know, we see it in real estate, accelerating those costs. So it, really it's an across-the-board tool that we see. Um, you know, just kind of what I get back to is it's a really nice tool. Our job as CPAs is, is to help determine when, to, when we can use that tool and when we should use that tool.
Uh, could you just, um, before I get to Adam's questions, could you just um, talk a little bit more about, you know, the types of assets that qualify? And there's probably been some changes over the years with some of the assets that previously weren't allowed, but now are allowed mm-hmm. uh, to be, you know, qualify for various uh, accelerated depreciation programs. Yep. Yeah. So really we're looking for bonus specifically, we're looking at anything that has a given class life of 20 years or less. Um, so basically all your personal property, um, your qualified improvement property, which is um, real estate related to anything that's really not the shell of the building. Uh, 179 is pretty similar. Um, some changes that have happened there. Uh, one of the nice ones we've seen in our real estate niche for our commercial clients is with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, um, that qualified real property definition was expanded to include like your HVAC systems, your roofs, your fire suppression system, security. Um, those we can elect to treat as qualified real property for 179 purposes, which the benefit there is we take something that would be a 39-year straight line life, and we can write you know all or most of that off in the current year, so really accelerate those deductions, which has been really nice. Um, another Tax Cuts and Jobs Act provision um, changed for bonus that we're now able to take it on used property, whereas in old regimes that was only newly purchased items. So just, again, gives more flexibility, some more applicability there. Hey, uh, Zach, here's a, I got a question for you, or maybe not a question as much as a comment, but when I grew up in uh, my, my family owned a lumber yard and I remember my dad having conversations about bonus depreciation and the first year his accountants did it for him, you know, they got this big tax deduction, right, which eliminated income, but then the next year they didn't have as good of a year and all of a sudden he had this quote unquote ad back, which really drove him crazy, you know, from the state. So I, you know, really what it is, is that that state conformity issue, right? Between the state and the feds. And uh, it, it took what was going to be a loss year and turned it into a taxable income year. And so they ended up paying tax when he wasn't anticipating it. I remember it shocked him and he was really frustrated with, you know, what bonus depreciation was and why it was advantageous when, you know, you get a deduction, but then in the next, you know, four or five years, you end up having to pay back in because of it. You want to speak a little bit to the add back rules and and how states don't always conform to the feds and and how that difference comes to play yeah that's a pretty significant thorn in our side in the tax department um you know each state gets to kind of be its own little kingdom set up its own set of rules and regulations um so typically you know speaking at a broad level most states don't conform with bonus depreciation a little bit better with um, section 179 i'm kind of zeroing in on minnesota so we have full conformity after um, tax year 2020, basically, for 179. So you wouldn't have any timing difference between federal and state there. Uh, bonus depreciation, Minnesota has historically never complied. That's still the case. Um, so kind of the way to think of it is however much bonus you take on the federal level, you're going to get to take 20% of that as a Minnesota deduction of the current year. So you're going to add back 80% of it, and then Minnesota gives that 80% that you added back to you over the um succeeding five years so really just creates additional timing difference you end up at the same place but there can be that whipsaw of add back and timing difference and yeah all sorts of unintended consequences um, that's one of the things that we look at um, you know just really at a high level when we're advising our clients is yeah we've got this really nice tool we can write off the things but you know one is it going to create a disadvantageous result state-wise and then also just from that perspective you know we're one year was good. We took the bonus depreciation, wiped out income. Next year wasn't as good. Uh, we'd run into situations like that where maybe it would have been better to back off some of that bonus depreciation, spread the deductions out. You know, maybe year one isn't as good, but then 
year one and two combined, you get to a little bit better perspective. So that's really something we're looking at um, as we're planning our clients for budgeting, um, trying to be precise with how we use this tool rather than just, you know, yeah, it's a timing it tool, right? I mean, like you're, you know, you, if you if you take all the, the basis out of your assets in year one, you're going to pay tax in year two on something unless you continue to buy more and, and just continue to take that depreciation deduction on the tax, right? I mean, it's... Right, you can kind of get stuck in a cycle of needing to have a pretty big fixed asset yeah. spent year over year to avoid, you know, kind of paying the piper because you've taken all your depreciation earlier. Yeah, what do they say is that the, the most important tax returns are your first and your last and everything else in between is just timing? Yeah, it's all just timing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, sometimes, especially if you're in a growing business and you need a lot of capital to uh, fund an expansion, it you know one of the ways to do that is to try to reduce your tax burden, right? And so you can almost, like at Adam points, you can almost kind of end up in like a, a death spiral, death spiral, so to speak, of keep on, you got to keep on purchasing uh, to make to keep your tax liability low. Uh, Zach, do you have any funny stories, you know, close to year end and you might be talking to a client and all of a sudden th their tax bill is looking a little higher and, and they, they kind of go on a spending spree or <laughs> things they might do at year end to try to get some more purchases on the book that can be, you know, uh, depreciated quickly? Yeah, it always kind of comes up as a conversation of what can I do? You know, you see a lot of, well, if I buy a computer, or, you know, well, I've got my eye on a new pickup truck. Like, what can I do with it there? What are the rules around that? And you know, we don't necessarily have to dig into the fixed asset rules for autos because that's a little dense. But, but yeah, it's always a conversation, um, you know, throughout the year of, you know, what does this look like? And yeah, I mean, it's one of the easiest ways to bring that liability down. And so you never advised anybody to buy a company fishing boat or a, <laughs> or a camper or anything like that? No, I would never advise. Okay. I, I have a, a client a few years ago. It was kind of a Brewster's Million situation. They had a lot of excess cash and were trying to reduce. They had a, a significant sale and they needed to reduce their tax. And so they, they bought a lot of fun stuff at your end. It was kind of a <laughs> right right down to the cutoff, right right even on December 30th or December 31st. You know, I would think if you used a boat to take people out fishing, you know, that could be a sales expense of some sort. But maybe I'm wrong, huh? Depends on the line of work you're in. <laughs> okay. Okay. I have a question, Zach. Um, do you have any specific advice for listeners kind of ahead of that sunset period that's coming up in 2026? Sure. Uh, so one of the things is just going to be, again, making sure that the property is purchased and in service before that sunset date. You know, so, um, you know, any material additions or changes that you need to make to it so you can use it for your business, basically that those are done and you're using um, the piece of equipment or whatever it may be for its intended purpose before that, you know, and then, you know, just kind of looking out across the next three or four years as that percentage gets less and less, you know, we're at 80% for 2023 drops to 60 and 20 and so on. Um, you know, maybe if the cash flow is good, you know, maybe looking at making that purchase now versus later um, just to be able to capture more of that deduction but then again, with that, I would say, you know, we also try to make sure that we're not letting the tax tail wag the whole dog. Um, you know, so if it's, if it works with your business plan to purchase the asset, get in service, then yeah, we want to go for it, potentially take more of the write-off, but we don't necessarily need to run out and spend a lot of money for things that we don't necessarily need right now to just lock in a tax benefit, you know, because even with bonus does somehow go away, we would have 179 potentially around, um, depending on the type of asset. And then also, you know, we're going to be able to get the regular maker's depreciation, which is going to accelerate it over straight line. Um, so the deduction is going to be there. It's just 
the timing of it, really. Zach, it's been tough for tax planning the last, you know, probably a couple of decades because we just never know where this bonus depreciation is going to hit at a congressional level. Um, I remember when, you know, the most recent presidential election, um, when, when uh, President Biden was elected, there was a lot of discussion on, you know, federal corporate rates were probably going to go up. And a lot of us were kind of based, basing our consultation with our clients on that premise at this point for, you know, our, our size clients, um, you know, certainly there's really large businesses out there that, you know, have additional tax now, but for the size of it, the clients that we're working with, there hasn't been any change in first, you know, schedules or C Corp um, taxpayers still at the 21% federal rate. Um, could you just talk about, you know, the legislative uncertainty out there and, you know, how this ends up being a little bit of a gamble in terms of what might happen in the future? Sure. You know, at this point, thankfully, we've got a little bit of certainty, as much certainty as you can have in tax law, because it's all subject to the stroke of a pen. Um, but, you know, we kind of know where it's going to be for the next three or four years. Um, you know, I know, like, looking back at the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that some of those provisions kicked in, like, the middle of 2017. You know, so there was different rules for bonus depreciation if you put it in service, like, 928.17 versus 929, which was a real treat. Um but yeah, so we've got a little bit of certainty here for a few years. Um, you know, really, when we're advising, you know, when we're looking at, okay, what's the current law of the land? So we have that. And then, you know, using our resources, like with RSM Alliance, um, different trade groups that we're in, just to see kind of ear to the ground what's Washington look like, what's St. Paul look like. At this point, I haven't heard anything, um, you know, regarding these changes to bonus depreciation. Um, again, it I would be surprised if it went away just because it's got a long life. It's pretty popular, as you mentioned, you know, across different regimes and um, parties in control. It's still stayed around. But yeah, looking at the law of the land and then just as much as we can, you know, trying to forecast, you know, one of the things that we're doing, especially in the last few years where we've had something like eight tax bills, um, is presenting a lot of different scenarios. You know, so, okay, you know, we've got this plan. Here's what your CapEx budget looks like for these years. Here's what it looks like if we, you know, follow the law of the land. Here's what if, you know, something outrageous happens, you know, if we 2024, everything switches hands, it could be, you know, we could go move back up to 100% bonus depreciation. So really laying out those scenarios as much as you can, providing options. Um, so really, you know, our business owners that we're serving, you know, we can't ever speak with certainty because things change. And, you know, especially the last couple of years, you know, things get upheaved, mm -hmm. but um, just laying out options so as much as we can we've got the ability to kind of pivot quickly I guess I would say so okay so imagine if you will I'm a business owner you're my tax accountant at what point in the year does it become you know important for us to connect and talk about like the performance of the year so that we can leverage you know tax depreciation as an actual method to you know impact how the results are going I mean a lot of times you know you see clients that come they bring all their results in like November, mm -hmm. at which point it's probably too late to go out and buy, you know, outside of like buying a car or something like that. You know, it's, it's probably too late to go buy a piece of automated machining equipment or something like that, that where you can actually accelerate, you know, a significant amount of depreciation to actually make a difference on a, on a really good year. So, you know, is this, is it mid-year? Is it early in the year? Like, like how soon do we have to plan on maybe capital investment to be able to leverage 
you know, good tax depreciation planning? Sure. That's a really good question. Um, you know, I'd say like in general, um, you know, kind of an open line of communication um, with your tax accountant is really helpful. Um, like you said, we do have a lot of people that come in towards the end of the year and there isn't always the flexibility to do it. Um, so we have clients where we do like a quarterly check-in kind of a mid-year. Um, you know, the other things like if you're like, say you're manufacturing client and you're considering, you know, kind of redoing your whole production line, like that would be also a great time to reach out to your accountant and say, you know, here's what we're thinking. How's this going to look? Do we want to do it this year versus next year? Um, or, you know, in chunks. Um, so really just kind of an ongoing conversation. I would yeah. say it's really going to depend on your line of business, um, how fixed asset heavy you are. Uh, but, you know, especially, you know, the big things are like, we're buying another building, we're buying another, you know, set of multi-unit housing, like that sort of thing. Um, it'd be a great time to check in. And you know, even if it's not a long conversation, just, you know, hey, here's what we're thinking, get it on the radar. Yeah. Zach, talk to me about uh, just a little bit about philosophy here in terms of maybe extensions. So one way we can peek out in the future a little bit is to finish the return at a later date. You might have a, a feeling, you know, maybe we're in July or August, and now we kind of have a good idea of where the year's at. Now maybe we can make a decision on whether to use bonus, um, you know, at this time or or not. And sometimes if you have to get your return done, you know, by middle of March or middle of April, you kind of don't have that gift of time. Granted, you still have to make your extension payment, but mm -hmm. can you describe that process? Because I've got some corporations where it's pretty advantageous. We have to wait a long time to get their return done because they got a big K-1 that comes in September, but that also gives us a gift of nine months before we have to make that, you know, work with the client to make that final decision on whether to use bonus or not. Sure. Yeah, I guess the, the caveat that you mentioned is, you know, you still have to pay the tax or as close your estimated tax by that extension date. But yeah, it does um, give a really good benefit. And really that kind of the, the benefit I would say is you're able to, you know, you're nine months into the next year making a decision on the previous year. So really you're able to get, you know, hopefully a pretty good picture of, you know, just throwing them out, you know, we're doing the 22 returns here this summer, but we're pretty far into 2023 when those are getting filed. So that really gives us kind of a two year window to look and say like, when do we want to take these accelerations? The gift of hindsight. Yeah, kind of get the gift of hindsight, but in real time. Um, that would be the the big piece there. Yeah, unfortunately, in election year, you can't quite get to November. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at October fifteenth, you might have to <laughs> make a final decision. Yeah, you gotta you gotta pay up at some point, but yeah. yeah. Uh, Zach, I I'm on I'm an auditor here at Olson Thielen and um, work with a lot of C corps. I also work with uh, you know partnerships, LLCs, S corps, um, but certainly on a financial statement aspect, uh, gap reporting. Uh, where this kind of comes into play for the auditor for those C corps where you have that you know that big deferred tax liability on you know on the fixed asset bonus depreciation and uh, I think uh, sometimes that figure can be pretty large especially if you've been in that you know um, death spiral of, of taking <laughs> bonus depreciation for a long time but it's an interesting to, thing to talk to with you know management teams and board of directors because it kind of the theory is that okay this is tax that you're kind of behind on for instance if you just sold your entire business right now you're going to owe this gap just on your fixed assets. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, companies who might be in the depreciation hole, so to speak, when they're trying to potentially sell their business and what that might look like? I know it's a complicated question. Yeah. No, it's a good question though. And 
know that again that comes into the planning that we're doing with our clients um just really looking at you know our budgeting and our forecasting you know what are you what's your profitability been historically what does it look like for the next few years um if you're looking to sell um you know that's maybe a situation where you know we know we're going to sell next year or in two years so maybe we hold back on that bonus depreciation leave some more basis in the assets to ultimately bring that liability down um or maybe it's a case where we know we're selling we want to bring those tax benefits in as much as possible so really just again communicating with the client saying you know we've been pretty bonus heavy pretty 179 heavy you know you're a fixed asset heavy business your manufacturer what have you you know you don't have a lot of basis left in your assets so um, just making sure that those owners you know because they kind of get a picture in their mind of you know here's the cash flow I'm getting here's what I've got in the business I think I'm going to have an, a liability of X just really making sure that we're communicating good information um, to say, no, it's actually going to be more like this number. It's going to be Y. So managing those expectations and really just getting down to avoiding surprises, um, which is really kind of the, the avenue we're taking with a lot of our tax planning is, you know, with anything, you know, if we know for it, we can plan for it. Um, but those surprises are really what comes back to bite you. Hey, Zach, are you able to use uh, bonus depreciation to create a loss position and then go back and file amended returns? Is that a strategy that you guys use at all? Like carrying the losses back? Yeah. Um, you know, so the first part of it, yes, you can use the bonus depreciation to create a loss. Um, the carrying back piece, not as much anymore just because with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that carry back period is no longer available. But we do um, look at in certain circumstances, you know, kind of looking at, would you rather have the net operating loss or would you rather have the deduction? And, you know, depending on what profitability is looking like in future years, you know, maybe more advantageous to, you know, say we want to have a lot of net operating loss to carry forward just because that's going to give us a bigger benefit than some depreciation deduction. So to answer the question in a roundabout way, yes, that is something we look at, um, you know, generating losses to kind of push that benefit forward in sure. a more meaningful way. The circumstances for depending on which client you're working on obviously will differ. Yep. And yeah, yep. you know, if it's, a situation where profitability is going to be down going or you know maybe up going forward then we want to leave some more of those deductions um, just to kind of again managing that tax liability so as much as we can we're not having wild swings in the tax bill we want to keep try to keep it smooth as much as possible i think um you know the the benefit of the bonus appreciation is i mean there is some you know uh, things that are not as beneficial but being able to select you know a five or seven year asset um asset life you know th those class years is kind of kind of things so you can use you know, partial bonus, and then you can, you know, your longer life's assets, you can kind of use traditional depreciation. So that's probably just a lot of a scenario and, uh, <laughs> and just probably a lot of big spreadsheets and, uh, you know, projections. Maybe talk about, you know, what it's kind of like when you talk to your clients about maybe having like a five-year CapEx projection or five-year operating projection. How do you, how, how do those, some, some of those conversations work? Yeah, so really, you know, getting a feel from the client on what they're expecting to spend um, and then, you know, comparing that with their budgets for profitability. And then, yeah, just really kind of laying out scenarios, trying to provide as much information as possible for here's, you know, kind of here's what our options are. We have this tool. Should we use this tool? When should we use it? Um, and then again, trying to smooth those tax liabilities, kind of keep a consistent um, threshold to that expense to, again, help with the budgeting and the profitability. 
Do you have any just funny stories of clients that, you know, maybe they either are so happy they gave you a hug or they, they growled at you and hung up the phone after you talked to them on this topic? I don't know if I have any funny stories. I mean, anytime you can tell somebody that, you know, the bill's going to come in less than they were expecting, that's always a pretty happy story. You get a pretty happy email. Um, you know, maybe a nice firm handshake out of the deal. No hugs, but though. No. <laughs> no hugs. Um, you know, I haven't really haven't had anybody else, um, you know, coming to me in an angry way either, which is nice. We've got a good set of clients. You know, Zach might not have a funny story, but I got a joke. You want to hear it? Sure. What, is, what did the overworked asset say to the other asset? I feel so under-depreciated. Saw <laughs> 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 so you Googling that. Just I, know, <laughs> I know. I had to look it up. That's courtesy of our friends over in California, Sensible San Filippo. Does <laughs> that qualify as a dad joke? Uh, y- yeah, yeah, probably, but, th- but, but poorly delivered. <laughs> That's okay. That's how a lot of dad jokes <laughs> <Yeah>. are. <laughs> <laughs> Any closing words or like final thoughts you want to leave with us, Zach? I know one thing we forgot to ask, Zach. What's in your cup? What's in your cup? What's oh, in my cup? You you listened to the the first episode, right? I did. You know how to I answer did. this, yep. then? I did. Attaboy. boy. It's not coffee. And then I was, you know, I I thought long and hard about how I was going to answer it. Um, you know, I would say, "What's in my cup?" is my family, my wife, and three daughters. So I wanted to give them a shout out um, if they've made it this far. <laughs> in the podcast listening to your old dad and husband um kudos to them they probably haven't so we don't know if they'll ever hear this but but yeah chasing chasing the three little ones around um you know building a life together that's that's what's in my cup awesome my cup is full of water because i <laughs> drink a lot of coffee black in the morning and i need to rehydrate in the afternoon because if i don't drink water in the afternoon how am i going to have a, a beer at night so <laughs> here we go <laughs> Hydrate. Hydration. So, Zach, as we as we kind of come to a close here, uh, maybe just a few last thoughts from you on uh, clients and or uh, business owners on tax depreciation and, and what they should consider. Yeah. You know, I'd say overall, again, getting back to that theme, the very good tool that we've got in our toolbox, um, we want to be reaching out to tax advisors, to CPAs, uh, those trusted advisors for, you know, when do we want to use this tool? And part of that is, um, as we mentioned, you know, reaching out throughout the year, especially if there's big changes, um, and as you're planning and budgeting for your business, reaching out to your CPA, say, here's what I'm thinking, what can we do around this, starting those conversations. Again, it doesn't have to be a long conversation, but just kind of, um, from my side of it, it's appreciated when we're kept in the loop, because that allows us to leverage our knowledge and our expertise um, in a real-time way, um, and to not try to catch up in a scramble at the end of the year. So, overall be reaching out throughout the year. Um, your tax advisors are wonderful people. We'd love to talk to you. Thank you very much, Zach. I, I'm guessing that you'll probably get a few phone calls and emails after this uh, podcast gets released. So, Yeah, I'd love to talk to everybody about it. Accelerated appreciation. It's exciting times. Not as exciting as my joke. Okay. <laughs> I have no response to that. <laughs> Thanks again, Zach, for your your time today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Check out all of our podcast episodes on the Q&A over coffee page on the Olson Thielen website. This is also a place where you can sign up to be notified whenever a new episode goes live. You can also listen to the podcast on SoundCloud, 
Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.